Hello, friends, fans, listeners, Kryptonians, Alderanians. This is Joey with Krypton to Alderaan, and this is one of our side or mini episodes, although sometimes they're not that many. I just wanted to come out front and say that this episode strays from our usual content quite a bit. Robin and I discussed the TV show 2020 and some of the true crime cases that have been featured on that show. As such, we have a discussion about some of the violent crimes committed by the subjects of these specific episodes. So that being said, there is some graphic content, such as rape, in parts of the discussion that some listeners may find triggering or difficult to listen to. If you are one of those listeners, please skip this episode, but tune into the next one. It's going to be a lot of fun. For those of you sticking around, Robin and I discuss her top three episodes of 2020 on this episode of Krypton to Alderaan. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Whatever This Is Called by Krypton to Alderaan, where we talk all about whatever we're passionately nerdy about. I'm Joey, and with me today is my Krypton to Alderaan co-host, Robin. Hi, Robin. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to talk all about 2020, the show, not the year, because the year was terrible and we should all put it out of our minds. Robin, would you say that you're passionately nerdy about the TV show 2020? Very much so. (laughs) Okay, great. Good start. A little history. I did not know. Um, So let's just start with some history. 2020 apparently premiered in 1978, which is crazy, and focused mostly on human interest interest and political stories until about 2018 when it changed its focus to true crime stories. Now, Wikipedia and some, I guess, the history of 2020 is that it says it now focuses on true crime and celebrity scandals. Have you found that to be true? Are there episodes on like, I don't, I can't even come up with a, with an example. Is it about celebrity scandals? I feel like they've definitely done a few. There was one that I wouldn't really say, like someone recently, I wouldn't say celebrity scandal, but this is what we talked about a little bit on the podcast where he was like a famous surgeon and he was like scamming Mm. a bunch of women so that was less true crime and more like scandalous dating right things i mean obviously there's a lot of stories where true crime and celebrity i don't know if you'd call it scandals but where they overlap right like charles manson and what was the little girl's name that was the pageant girl and it's true crime story and no one knows if her parents did it or not oh john benet ramsey yes that so when did you start watching 2020, Robin? Are you familiar with the pre-2018 version of the show or have you just been watching like the true crime version? I've definitely been paying much more attention to the the more recent true crime versions. Definitely watched it like with my mom as a kid. I remember mm. watching like, it was like an hour long. It was hosted by Barbara Walters and they would do more of like the investigative journalism thing and they would talk to celebrities or current, you know, public figures, whether it was politicians. I definitely remember that version of the show, hmm. but did not start watching it on my own until the past <laughs> like year or two. And it's definitely been very fascinating. Why did you start watching it like within the past year or two? I don't know. I feel like it was probably on TV and we just left 
the TV on after Shark Tank. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. But there That's have hilarious. been some like John Bonet Ramsey where I remember that from when I was a kid. And I was like, I kind of remember this. I would be really intrigued to watch the coverage of it or the, you know, very late coverage of it as an adult to see, mm. you know, if, if what I remember as a kid kind of lines up. So there's definitely been episodes like that where I've been really excited and they've gotten me pretty hooked. And I know like all week they'll kind of announce it on like, you know, Friday night and like, and next Friday. Right. And then I spend all week like, man, I can't wait for 2020. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that, I guess it it's safe to say you're passionate about it. Yes. <laughs> so you watched it as a kid with your mom. I didn't know this until I did the research for this talk is that it apparently was on before TGIF on ABC. So I imagine that I caught the tail end of it a lot because I loved TGIF. Were you sticking around to watch TGIF after you and your mom watched 2020? Yeah, for sure. And I I would guess since you're, I didn't even realize that, but that would probably be why it would have been on a lot unless it was someone, you know, my mom was super interested in, but that was probably why it was on TV because we were just going to sit and watch ABC all night long and watch TGIF in 2020. Right. God, such a good time to be alive back then. <laughs> it was. Okay, so you have three episodes picked out that as of now are your top three-ish favorite twenty episodes of 2020, post-2018, you know, the true crime version. Is that correct? Yes. yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. What's your first, what's first on your list? First on the list, since we've already kind of been talking about it, is the one about John Benet Ramsey. Huh. I spoiled it right at the top. A little bit. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, and that's one, you know, I've already kind of touched upon it where I remember it from when I was a kid and I'm relatively positive she is like our age. Like if she were not, she had not been murdered, she would be our age today, roughly. Right. So. I remember as a kid, my mom was shocked because she's like, that could have been my kid. And I was shocked thinking, well, that could have been me because she was, you know, <laughs> six years old or whatever at the time. Right. And I'm pretty sure the episode, I don't know if it would have been specifically old 2020 footage, but they had an interview with the parents from the 90s with Barbara Walters. So whether mm. it was from Barbara Walters on 2020 in the 90s or just like a different new special with Barbara Walters, they had a lot of that footage. And that was really interesting because apparently I remembered a lot of the details, even though I would have only been six or seven years old when this happened. Huh. So it was interesting to watch it and be like, I wonder how much I remember and how much of this really lines up with what I remember and what happened. And I remembered like 95% of it. But it was really interesting to watch as an adult and see definitely like everybody thinks that one or both of the parents did it. And right. that's always something I've remembered. And it was interesting to watch it as an adult and watch the interview with the parents where you're sitting there and you're like, it was you two. There's <laughs> literally no way it was not one of you two just sitting so stoic talking about how their child was found tied up and like strangled in their basement. Like they were not emotional. They were not upset. There yeah. was like a crazy long like at least one full page, if not longer, a like a ransom note that they found like on their stairs or something. There's literally no way it was not one of the parents. Huh. But the dad's still out there doing whatever. And I think the mom died at some point. She had cancer. 
couple times. So the mom's gone, but the dad's still out there. Hopefully yeah. not, you know, killing other people's kids. Right. Well, that's really interesting that you bring up how much of it you remembered. So to the episode of the new age of 2020, given that you've rem- you remembered so much from our childhood, was there new stuff in that 2020 episode? Was there like new evidence or were they just kind of like going back to it, opening up the cold case file type thing? It was a little bit of both. Um, They talked about someone who had been, I think he had worked for the police in, I think they lived in Boulder. So it was someone from the police department who was already retired, but he was really good at investigating you know, cold cases and crimes that no one else could solve. And they had brought him back in, you know, in the 90s. And I guess within the past 10 years, at some point, he died. And now his kids and his grandkids, I think it's his two granddaughters, they have a true crime podcast where they talk about it. And his kids have basically taken all of his evidence and they've taken on his life's work to figure out who actually killed her because he didn't believe it was the parents. He believed someone actually did break in, but there was not a whole lot of evidence. No one really believed him. So there was a lot of that newer footage where it's, I think it was, you know, a year or two ago and they showed the the family talking about it and they had all of his notes and video footage and they were investigating everything for him, trying to just kind of solve it since he couldn't and he's now gone so that was definitely very interesting because that was something I never knew I just thought it was the parents everybody's always thought it was the parents Mm. there's no way it wasn't the parents but then you watch this footage and you're like well I'm still pretty sure it was the dad if not both of them but it is interesting that not everybody thinks that and there are a lot of people who very passionately don't believe it was the parents right from You dredging up my memories right now, the thing I remember most about it is it being on the cover of like tabloids in the National Enquirer at the grocery store. You know, like you said, I think she was born in 1990 and she was murdered in 1996. So yeah, right in the middle of our childhood. So I'm not sure that I had that much sort of knowledge about it or understanding of it other than my parents talking about it and seeing it on the National Enquirer. So maybe I should start watching 2020. It will definitely dredge up your childhood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I obviously listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and, and this, obviously this one comes up pretty frequently. I don't know. Is it the biggest cold case from our childhood? I don't know about the biggest. That's That's definitely... The one from our childhood that they've touched upon, at least recently, since we've been watching it a lot, I'm sure there are probably others, but maybe ones that weren't quite national news because they didn't involve a six-year-old pageant kid. Yeah, it's one of those ones where now you said the investigators, kids or or family have picked it back up and are still trying to go with it. So maybe current technology or, or new technologies can that come out can help solve the case. So let's get into what your number two is, unless you have more to say about John Bonet Ramsey. I do not. Let's let's do number two. Okay. <laughs> number two, I was watching a little bit of this earlier to kind of refresh my memory. And I I don't know what he would have been referred to in like the, you know, 60s and 70s, but 2020 referred to him as the dating game killer. Oh, okay. Which I think we did talk about a little bit. Um, We must have because it's ringing a bell. I was really excited for that because I 
I don't think I ever really watched the dating game, but I'm familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I'm very into things from like the 60s and 70s, just like older kind of vintagey things. And I was really excited by this, like, oh, cool, I'm going to find out so much cool stuff about this, you know, time period. And they did, they touched upon that kind of briefly. But this guy basically was just kind of a creep. And I believe he was the guy who was kind of going back and forth across the country. And he lived in like a few different areas. And the first kind of known thing that he did um, was a woman who basically like went missing in the desert. I believe it was in California somewhere, California or Arizona. And her family tried to open like a missing persons case, but the police department wouldn't let them file her as a missing person because she was an adult, which (laughs) seems very strange. So they wouldn't let her them let the family report her. And she was pregnant and like hitchhiking and someone found a body of a woman and, you know, a very small infant like a year or two later. And it took them like 10 or 20 years to actually identify it as this woman because there was no missing persons case and no one had really been investigating it. Back then, police districts didn't communicate. Like there was no... Across, you know, there was no communication sort of across their borders. So if someone went missing in one place or murdered in one place and there was a similar crime somewhere else, they weren't talking. So no one connected the dots. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this was before like DNA was a thing. We watched mm-hmm. a few episodes where they're like, this was before you can investigate with DNA. So we have these things sitting in a vault in, you know, a, a police station somewhere, but we right. couldn't do anything with it until DNA happened. And some cases it was like, well, DNA was a thing, but it wasn't advanced enough to investigate this. Sure. And it's so complicated. Like any true crime podcast you listen to, they're always going to eventually talk about like DNA isn't the smoking gun. I mean, it obviously can be and sometimes it is, but sometimes it's contaminated or, it, you know, there's just so many variables to the situation, even when it became part of the forensic science toolkit. It's not always 100% accurate. Yeah, and that step definitely was a big part of this case because they found, you know, bones of a couple people and they couldn't really do anything. And it wasn't like a widely known case. And this guy was just kind of trolling around and going to New York City and taking pictures of people. And then he'd, you know, like break into their apartments and murder them. Or I think he even like took a few women on dates and then went back to their apartment and murdered them. But the most interesting part that they, you know, and the reason they named the episode this was he went on the dating game in the 70s Mm. and he was a contestant. And the woman, you know, they have it, the woman who's interviewing the three guys behind the partition. Right. And he was one of them and the woman picked him. So I assumed that it was going to end with anyway. So he murdered the woman who was on the dating game who picked him. But apparently after they shot the episode, he met her and she got really kind of creeped out by him and told, you know, one of the producers or like someone who worked on the show, like, hey, I'm not getting good vibes from him. I really don't feel safe, like going out on a date with him. Is this like, is this legally binding? Do I have to go (laughs) on a date? Oh my goodness. And they were like, absolutely not. Like if you changed your mind, if you don't feel safe and they were interviewing people who worked on the dating game who were like, yeah, he was just, he was charming and he was charismatic, but there was something very off-putting about him at the same time. 
which is pretty much what everyone said about him. Like he was, you know, young and charming and attractive and he had like, you know, the long hair from like the 60s and 70s. But he was just strange. He put off like really weird off-putting vibes and it made people uncomfortable. Yeah, well, that's a lot of these guys. I don't know what it is, but obviously like the late 50s and 60s and 70s was seemingly when these serial killer men, you know, white, charismatic, charming, good-looking men just started doing what they were doing. And it's crazy the concentration of them within that time frame. I mean, the cult cult leaders around the same time, like L. Ron Hubbard started in the 50s and we got Jim Jones and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's just crazy to think that so much of that happened at the same time. This guy, Rodney Alcala, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? Do you remember from the show? I think it's Alca- it Alcala. Is- Alcala? Yeah. So he was on the dating game and the woman, so she picked him and then was immediately like when they were face to face, she was like, no. Yep. She was like, "I something feels weird. I don't feel comfortable. And she immediately told someone and they were like, no worries. You don't need to actually go on a date with him. So do you know when, like when in his criminal history, he was on the dating game? I feel like it was like somewhat towards the beginning, but like closer to the middle. Like he had definitely already committed a bunch of crimes, murdered a bunch of people. I believe he's also the man who like picked up a little girl out front of the hotel that she lived in. And like a stranger saw that and was like, hey, that doesn't look right. He had convinced this little girl like, you know, I know your parents were really good friends. Get in the car. I'm going to take you to your parents, even Mm -hmm. though she was like at her house. And a stranger saw that and, like, called the cops and the cops followed. And I think they had found, they showed up and he was, like, undressed and she was, like, on the floor unconscious. He, like, beat her with, like, a brick or something. I don't think, she did not die. I think they interviewed her on 2020 because they had found her in time. But he definitely was, like, intending to kill this, like, 10-year-old girl or however old she was, like, 10 or 12. Right. It looks like that was his first crime, his first known crime in 1968. And then he was appreh- he was finally apprehended in 1979. So 11 years, seven, according to this, seven victims that we know of. Yes. Yeah, just crazy. It's just crazy that someone could go out and about like travel the country, travel the world if you want and like Nobody has any clue that this was you. Yeah. Yep. Did 2020, is like, is he still alive? Did he make an appearance on 2020? Do they do that kind of thing? I think they had footage of an interview with him, and I think it was only audio footage, but I believe he died in like 2014 or 15. He somewhat recently, but he is not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. I also want to say he's the guy that they eventually found a storage locker full of pictures of all of his oh, yeah. victims. Because he would go around, he would travel the country, and he would, you know, walk up to people and be charming and be like, hey, can I take your picture? And that's how he right. would, you know, meet women. And I think he's the one that they found, you know, like their earrings and things like that, but also like all of these photos that he took, which is how they figured out that woman who was pregnant in, you know, 1968. Oh, who, yeah who he killed, I think, before this little girl. That's how they kind of finally connected the two because there was a picture of her in the desert on his motorcycle. Right. Crazy. Yeah, Ted Bundy is another one, right? It's same time frame. And he made his way across the country. 
just terrorizing people, but everyone said, how could you tell he was a good-looking, charming guy? I mean, if you watch the Ted Bundy tapes, I think you get a pretty good feel for, again, like if he was on the dating game, the woman would meet him and and probably be like, nope. Yeah. Yeah, these guys just made their way across the country doing this kind of thing. All right, so that's Rodney Alcala. What's number three? Number three is the Golden State Killer. All right, here we go. I, (laughs) I know the most about this one. He's probably the one that I would say was, I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite, but what I found to be the most interesting. Sure. And if I'm remembering him correctly, he is the one who started off not killing people, but he would kind of break into their homes and like do weird stuff and kind of like terrorize them a little bit and make them think they were going to die. Yeah, I think he raped, he he raped and terrorized a lot before he actually finally killed someone, yeah. But it was another case of he had a an area that he would torment and commit these violent crimes. And eventually he moved to other areas and the police districts did not communicate with each other. You know, someone eventually put the pieces together that said, hey, this is exactly what happened, you know, in, I can't remember the name of the place where he started, but anyway but they still couldn't catch him. I think we talked about this on the podcast, though. Uh, Patton Oswalt's late wife, Michelle McNamara, wrote a book before they caught him, you know, several years. They didn't catch him until several years ago. Yeah. And she she wrote a book that's very good about her investigation into the Golden State Killer, and they've made a documentary, uh, I think it's on HBO, uh, based off of her book. But anyway, what did 2020 have to say? 2020 actually used a lot of her book and her research. They cited her a lot, but they were just, you know, explaining how he kind of was going. You know, he started in the one place in California and then he went, I believe he went north after that. He went to, you know, a different city in California. And then I think he also kind of went like dormant for a few years and then kind of like popped back up. And that's when he started killing people. Like, I think he... He broke into some random older couple's house in the middle of the night and just, like, shot them both in the back of the head just because. I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it, but he would he would break in and he knew so much about the people who lived there and about the layout of their house. And he would make the woman tie the man up if there was or if there was a guy with her or a partner or whatever. And he would put, like, dishes or teacups and stuff on the guy so that he would hear him move if he moved. Yeah. And it would obviously threaten them. I'm going to have to put a disclaimer up at the top of this episode because it's obviously a difficult subject to talk about and listen to. Yeah. But yeah, just his method was, I mean, was obviously a very deranged individual, but just to like think of, think to do something like that. When I heard that in from reading Michelle's book, I was like, that's insane that you would even think to do that. I think the crazier part is that he did this for however long, and then he kind of stopped, and then he started again, but then it was significantly worse. Because I I think when he, was he the one he initially started, and he wasn't, he was just kind of like terrorizing people and like raping women. And then he kind of went away for a while. And then when he came back is when he started really you know, murdering people in their homes. I could be wrong. I think that's how it was. 
Yeah, he worked up. I mean, there's a whole like profile uh, psychology to this where you work, you're working your way up to a crime like murder. But he started, yeah, he started breaking into women's houses and and raping them and ransacking the place. And, you know, he'd tie them up and blindfold them, whatever. And occasionally he would let, stick around and make them think he was gone. And then he'd let them know he was still there. I mean, the guy is a maniac and just to, to want to instill that amount of fear in people is crazy. Yeah, he started off as the as being known as the East Area Rapist. Like, that was his original alias that the criminal investigators gave him. And he eventually worked his way up. Yeah, and he worked in several different parts of California. And like I said, no one communicated with each other. So it was hard to know who he was or where he was or where he was going next. The thing that blows my mind the most is, like, he eventually, for whatever reason... I don't know if he thought people were catching up to him. Like, he eventually stopped, had a family, had kids who had kids. And by the time they figured out who he was and really, like, nailed him down, he was a grandpa. Like, yeah. I, I can't imagine being his wife or his kids or even, like, his grandkids. Like, why is grandpa going to prison? Yeah. No, he wasn't caught until, I don't know, it's hard to look up on the fly, 2018, I think. Yeah, it was within the past five years at some point. They finally, you know, figured out 100% this is who it was. Uh, yeah, so he wasn't caught until 2018. And did 2020 go into the circumstances surrounding his, uh, them finally, like, catching him? I th They definitely did, and I cannot tell you a single thing about it, but I know for sure that they went into it. So Michelle McNamara died before she could finish her book and before he was caught. So it's not, it wasn't part of her book. There actually, there might be an epilogue written, but I think Pat Oswalt finished her book actually because she died before she even got the chance to finish her book. But anyway, it wasn't finished by the time he was caught. They caught him because someone in his family submitted a DNA test, like a, an ancestry genealogy DNA test. And they must have submitted it to some sort of open source, you know, Ancestry.com. And the other big ones say that they don't, they keep all that classified. They don't let law enforcement see that. But there are ones that you can submit your DNA to that would release it if there's a criminal investigation. So that's how they caught him. It's like someone in his family submitted a genealogical DNA test and it pinged on the, the DNA match for him because otherwise they never had a, a match. And he was a cop. He was an ex-cop. So there's, I think there's a couple of, I mean, there's just hints throughout Michelle's book of how methodical he was and how, how he understood, you know, in hindsight, in 2020, um, how he understood the investigation would go so he was able to get away with it by doing certain things. Yeah, and they definitely mentioned that a lot. Like this, see, like while they were investigating these crimes and while he was actually active, they definitely were like, this seems like someone who knows what they're doing. They know 100% what the cops are going to be looking for, what to not leave behind, how exactly to do it to like not be able to get caught, you know, in the 70s. Right. Yeah. Scary and crazy and horrible. This is all horrible. They, these guys all, well, I guess besides Sean Bonet Ramsey's killers at least they got caught but they 
oh, it's just terrible to think about how much havoc they wreaked. There's definitely a lot of episodes of 2020 where, like, at the end of the episode, unless they're specifically talking about, like, this is, you know, John Smith, like, this is his story, and they show, like, their picture up front. Like, a lot of times they'll just be talking about a crime or, like, a spree of crimes of, like, murders or, you know, what have you. And then at the end, the hosts will come on and they'll say, Anyway, so there's still like an active FBI investigation. So if you anybody has any clues, you know, call in the tip line and that kind of thing, right. which I think is even spookier to end the episode with. Anyway, this was really horrible, right? So they're still yeah. out there. Well, I think it's important. I, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that I think it's important to do stuff like that and, and get the public on board in that way. I mean, I've listened to a lot of true crime podcasts and some of them have resulted in the arrest of a criminal in, you know, involved in what was then a cold case. So the crime was in the past so far that it, they haven't, hadn't been able to find anybody. And then like these armchair detectives, it's not always a good thing. Obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables there. It's not so black and white, but sometimes you get the armchair detectives on it and stuff gets done, especially. I mean, you just have the ability to turn so many people onto the investigation, so many eyes. So it's really interesting age we live in for stuff like that. It's super handy. It definitely doesn't make you feel safe, though. <laughs> no, no. I mean, again, on any true crime podcast, they'll say everyone always thinks that this can't happen to them, you know, but it happens to people who thought this can't happen to me. So it's just important to always be vigilant. You know, obviously, as always, if you see something, say something, but uh, you just have to be vigilant. And yeah, that's where we're at. Would you say that you're passionately nerdy about true crime in general? Do you listen to or do you listen to or watch any other true crime stuff? I don't. I've tried. Um, There's a series, I want to say it's on like Discovery or National Geographic or something like that. And it's called Exhumed. And it's specifically Mm. where they are trying to solve like old, you know, murders or deaths. And they literally will exhume the body like from the grave. And that's kind of macabre and kind of spooky and kind of up my alley. And Mm. I was really excited. And I think we watched They did like a marathon. The show came out at some point this year, I think. And we watched like three or four episodes and I just couldn't get into it. The content itself was really interesting, but the way it was presented and the voiceovers they had and just the way they kind of had it presented was not super interesting and it just could not captivate my attention. There's something specific, like 2020 has been around for, you know, 50 years or whatever. So they... They definitely know how to put content together to make people want to watch and then, you know, come back and watch again. So I guess I'm slightly picky about it. I've tried, but I just can't do it. (laughs) But you'd never listen to any true crime podcasts or anything? No. No. There's a lot of good ones out there. We'll talk off air about (laughs) my favorite true crime podcast. So do you have a favorite episode of 2020? Now, those were your top three. Were they in order or were they in no particular order? They were in no particular order. I think if I had to pick, I probably would say the Golden State Killer just because it blows my mind that this guy did all of this horrible shit and then just stopped and then had a family and had grandkids. Like, I couldn't imagine as, you know, I 
I don't know how, I think he's in his eighties now, but I couldn't right. imagine like when my grandparents were in their eighties, I was in my early twenties. I couldn't imagine having lived my entire life with my grandparents being like, my grandparents are the best people on the entire planet. And then they're like, grandpa's going to jail because he killed a bunch of people like 50 years ago. Yeah. Yep. That's so, that's a really good point. It's so bizarre to think about it from that perspective. That's immediately what I thought. Like, first of all, his poor wife, like, does it, did he ever confess to her or was she just completely, completely in the dark? And that, that's spooky to think about from that perspective. It's spooky to think about being his kid, but even going further to be like, this is my sweet old grandpa and he's going to jail because he killed all of these people and like terrorized all of these people. That's just insane. And I always go back to like, again, the perspective of being like married to this person. Like, did she really have no idea this entire time? Yeah, there's just, I don't know, there's something about these guys that, that can get away with it from everyone. But maybe he wasn't the old sweet grandpa. Maybe we're, I mean, we're certainly projecting a certain amount of stuff into that situation. Maybe he was an asshole grandpa and his grandkids were like, oh, yeah, no fucking duh. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> or something. I don't That's know if really he. a horrible way to say it, but maybe he wasn't always the greatest uh, family member. I don't know. I mean, that's the other way to flip it, too. Like, I don't know if he was married or divorced. Like, maybe he's divorced because maybe, you know, his wife found out and was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm not going to be married to you anymore because you're probably going to kill me. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, there's just so much of that, too. It's He's not the only one who has quit and started a family. And then whether they've gotten back into it or not, there's just so many stories like that that maybe we'll cover on another 2020 podcast, whatever these are called episodes. So unless you've got anything else, I think that's it. Thank you. We've covered covered Robin's top three favorite 2020 episodes. Luckily, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. So maybe in a short while, we can get a new list or something like that. Who knows? (laughs) Anyway, I think that's the show. Hey, if you're enjoying these, whatever these are called, these little mini interview episodes, let us know. We are on Twitter at Krypton Alderaan, and we're on Instagram and Facebook at Krypton to Alderaan. We have a Facebook now, so that's exciting. I, I have no idea how to use Facebook, but it's there and I'm in it. Uh, or shoot us an email at Krypton to Alderaan at gmail.com. Leave us a review where you're listening to this, as long as where you're listening allows you to leave a review and all that stuff. These are fun. I like doing these, talking about what people are nerdy. It's not always uh, nerdy pop culture stuff, but it's mostly Star Wars. Now it's got a little bit of 2020 in it. Hooray. Hooray. All right. Well, that's the show. Thanks, Robin. Appreciate you being around and talking about this. Hey, thanks for letting me nerd out about 2020 for 30 to 40 minutes. Anytime. (laughs) And... Cut.